This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into the Ots and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prame. Eric Scopel is with me as always. And the Oregon Ducks have four of the 10 best football players in the Pac-12 for the 2020 football season. That is according to our national writer, Brandon Marcello on 24-7 Sports, recently released a ranking of the top 10 players. He included four Oregon Ducks in his top 10. He had Panay Sewell at number one. But Eric and I, we've got, we've got some counterpoints. We think maybe there should be some changes from an Oregon perspective, and we're going to discuss that here on the podcast. But before we do, I want to remind you guys, we're currently offering a subscription promo price right now of 50% off an annual membership to DuckTerritory.com. That gets you inside scoop. It gets you to join a great online community of Duck fans. You also get access to Eric, Kevin, myself, our national team, our regional team. You get to read all the content across the entire 24-7 sports network and that comes at a, a price of 50% off your annual membership. And if you're curious, that's a huge savings. You're going to be billed $53.70 one time. You're paying $9.95 a month if you, go, if you go the month route at duckterritory.com. So you're saving over, over 50% uh, compared to the month-to-month price. And it's a huge savings. You're, you're, you try us out. I, I'm, I'm fairly confident that you're going to feel like you got good value in, in signing up and being a member of DuckTerritory.com. So highly encourage you guys to check that out. All right, Eric, let's dive into this ranking by Brandon Marcillo. And he recently released a list of the 10 best football players or the top football players in the Pac-12. And He's doing a little bit of projecting of, you know, what guys are going to mean and, and the importance of that uh, on their teams. And he's got some interesting names here. Let's run through real quick the top 10. He, he's got C.J. Verdell from Oregon as the 10th best player in the Pac-12. Max Borgi, the running back for the Cougars, is 9. Jay Tufeli, defensive tackle for the Trojans, is 8. Thomas Graham from Oregon is a second duck. He is 7th, the senior cornerback. Uh, Stanford's corner. Paulson Adebo is sixth. UW's Elijah Molden is fifth, uh, former Oregon prep, son of an Oregon football player. Fourth is Hamakir Rashid, um, Oregon State's linebacker, one of the better players in the Pac-12 overall. Third is an Oregon Duck, uh, defensive end Kayvon Thibodeau. Second is another sophomore, this one from USC quarterback Keaton Slovis. And the number one player in the Pac-12 is Penny Sewell, Oregon's junior left tackle from the Oregon Ducks. And I, I think the first thing that pops out, Eric, in my mind is that he has C.J. Verdell 10th. Mm-hmm. And I don't quite know if, if 
I would include Verdell in, in the in the top ten, and I also not, I'm not sure if I would include Thomas Graham in the top ten in the Pac-12. I certainly wouldn't consider them the fourth and third best players on Oregon's football team, though. Yeah, it's, this is um, met Brandon a couple of times. Really nice guy, and as we're just gonna just getting that out there. Not that we're gonna like trash him entirely here, but I I do disagree with with some of this from an Oregon perspective. And let's start by acknowledging that. Um, 40% of the top 10 players in the Pac-12 are from Oregon. Yeah. To That's a pretty darn good stat there. USC, the only other school with more than one player on there. But as far in, ter- in terms of the Oregon stuff, I actually probably disagree more with Thomas Graham at seven than C.J. Verdell at 10, but I disagree with both of them, if that makes <laughs> sense. Um, just because I had – I did my own Oregon top 20 players ranking uh, – earlier this month and and I had Graham as the fifth best player on the team Verdell at four and Holland at three I mean I think Javon Holland not being on this list is actually probably the most confusing and confounding part in my mind um and then the fact that you had Verdell and Graham both above him because I I'll be honest when I was doing this rankings it was Sewell Thibodeau and Holland and then I started thinking about the rest of it. Um, it was pretty easy. I mean, I thought that was pretty clearly the, the hierarchy, the top three that deserved to be there. We should note that um, Brandon also included is also considered um, five other players. He also considered from the pac 12 um, and Javon Holland uh, was the first one mentioned there. So he was maybe the 11th player that Brandon considered. So at least he's in the discussion like he deserves to be, but I don't think there's any question in my mind and obviously Matt's mind that if we were doing this list, we would have, Holland above Verdell and we would have Holland above Graham. Matt, do you, are you okay with Graham above Verdell though? Do you like that order? Cause I had Verdell above Graham in my rankings. Do you agree or do you disagree? Where, where I would, would you- disagree. I, I would have Graham above Verdell. Um, okay. I, I, my issue with Verdell is that yes, he's one of nine FPS players in the last 20 years to rush for 250 yards and record 50 yards in a receiving game in a single game. He's, he's a guy that's ran for 1,000 yards his freshman year and then did it again as a sophomore. Uh, he is a guy that dominated the Pac-12 championship game and earned MVP honors. But my issue with, with, with Verdell is a majority of, of his production came in like four or five games, and he played in, in 14 games for Oregon. And so I, I look at him and think he had a lot of he had a lot of games where he just was very pedestrian. And he also had a lot of games where he simply got hurt. And yeah, I think that needs to be taken into consideration. Um, you know, against Wisconsin, he just 49 yards against the Badgers. He had 50 against the Beavers, 49 against Arizona. He had 12 against USC, left that game hurt. 48 yards against the Huskies, he left that game hurt. 46 yards against Cal. I believe he left that game hurt as well. Stanford, he was solid, but 24 carries to get 82 yards. 13 yards against Montana, left that game hurt. 60 yards against Nevada. He had 76 yards against Auburn, which actually was a really good game from him. 14 Mm -hmm. carries, 76 yards. He had a touchdown. He had a good average. Um, But I, I, I do believe that he got hurt. If I remember right, he, he did get some kind of stinger against Auburn, but I go back to just look at the games in which he, he really played well. And 
208, 18 carries against Utah, 257 against Washington State, 171 against Colorado. I mean, three games realistically make up over half. Well, then the 200 and whatever against Utah, too. Yeah. I mean, yeah, all, all of his stats came in like four games. And so I, I look at that as he's talented. I'm not, I'm not arguing that he, he, he can be a top 10 player in the Pac-12, but I just – consistency, we need to see that consistency. And I think there's better player – I think there's players that we've seen that consistency from already and are just as good as Verdell. And so that's why I wouldn't, I wouldn't have included Verdell in the top 10. I'm not saying he can't get there certainly think he could get there and he could be poised for a big junior year where, you know, new quarterback, they lean on, on him a little bit more. He does a little bit more, but I also wonder if, if you're going to lean on him more and give him more carries, you also bring up then the durability factor because he's, he's dealt with injuries before in his first two seasons at Oregon. Fair or not, but I, I this is going to be a big year for, for CJ Verdell. I think he could have a huge year. I think he could go for over 1,500 yards, 1,600 yards. But I just look at him and think, how many yards did he leave on, on the field because he missed holes? Uh, he, didn't fit, you know, he got tripped up, uh, or, or he simply just couldn't finish games. And so that has to be also taken into consideration because football is not a, a sport that you're playing at 100% throughout the entire, the entire season. So I, I would probably put Thomas Graham ahead of him. But I don't even know, Eric, if, if Thomas Graham is Oregon's best cornerback. Oh, I mean, I mean, trust me, when I was going through those rankings, it was really hard. I had Graham five, I had Mikhail Wright six, and I had uh, Diamond Lenore eight. So I had three of the team's corners ranked right in a cluster together. So it, it, it's certainly um, up for debate. Just really quickly, playing slight devil's advocate on the C.J. Verdell thing. Um, the, the other thing is when he is on, as you mentioned, he is pretty dang special. And I just did my 10 best individual rushing games of the last 10 years, and three of them were games by Verdell, um, which was actually the most by any running back besides the Michael James. He had more on there than, than Royce Freeman, who actually kind of shockingly didn't have very many huge games, just a lot of like 140 to 160-yard games. But – yeah, Verdell, Verdell's an interesting one, and, and but I, I also think, like, maybe there's a scenario where he stays upright and healthy for the entire 2020 right. season, and he has, like, 1,700 yards, and you're just like, well, holy cow, he absolutely deserves to be in the top 10. So um, the upside's there, but I think there's safer picks if I'm Brandon Marcel in terms of who's a top 10 guy, and to me, that's Javon Holland. And then if we want to talk about the, the corner hierarchy, boy, that's, like, I, I really don't have a strong, strong argument one, two, and three in terms of Graham Wright and and and, uh, and Lenore in terms of how you would order those. I, I would the way I ranked them was Graham Wright Lenore. What about you, Matt? When you when you look at those three guys, and it's hard because the expectation is at least that Graham and Lenore are going to be the starters this year. But everybody kind of thinks Wright's probably like the highest upside, best NFL prospect in the secondary, or at least that corner right now. Maybe even above a guy like Holland. How do you like? How do you look at those guys? It's pretty difficult, right? Yeah, I, I think it's weird. Um, going into this season, I'm going to say Thomas Graham is Oregon's best cornerback. I agree. Um, I I think that's going to be true. I think that will will go into the season. 
I think leaving the 2020 season, we might look back and say that Michael Wright is Oregon's best cornerback, and he might not start a game yeah. all year. Very possible. For Oregon. I, I, think, I think, like you said, Lenore, Graham, and Wright are all pretty interchangeable. I think Wright, though, has the higher upside than these other two guys. I, I, I think Wright's just scratching the surface. And while both players are and, – and I don't want to make it look like I'm not high on like, Verdell. I'm, I, I'm high on Verdell. I'm, I'm high on Oregon's players, defensive backs, cornerbacks too. I just think we're literally like at a point where we're splitting hairs. But it's important because we're talking about guys that could be elite and, we could, and guys that could be special. And I think Michael Wright could be a, someone that, in, when he leaves Oregon, could be considered as one of the best all time. I think Thomas Graham is going to be in that top 15 discussion, top 10 discussion for the last 15, 20 years at the position. But I think Michael Wright could be a guy that we could say he might be the second or third or fourth best player to, to play the position in the last 15, 20 years at, or, at, at cornerback for Oregon. Here's my kind of hot take with Michael Wright. I think because he's, he's not going to have an opportunity to start after two years, and he's probably going to go pro after a third season. Um, and again, he might start this year. We don't know how that's going to play out. But you look at the, the depth chart, and right now he would be with the twos based upon what we know. Um, I think it's going to be a thing where you look back and go, he, maybe, he was the most, maybe he ends up being far and away the best NFL player from that position group on this roster. But you go – man, it kind of stinks that he only had one full season as a starter at Oregon. You know what I mean? Well, it's, it's, it's very it's, similar to like Troy Hill where yeah, like kind of inverse where Troy had to wait for a really long time to become the starter. And then when he did, he just balled out and got drafted. Yeah. Whereas Wright is going to be somebody we always knew he was special. The opportunity was just kind of different. Um, but I, I think that's going to be – his, his career is going to be an interesting one to follow because like we said, he basically arrived – he was arrived as the highest rated corner recruit they'd ever signed. He was good from the get go, but there were two guys who had, you know, two full seasons of a starter's experience when he arrived. So he takes a back seat his, his freshman year, his junior, his sophomore season, those guys are still around as seniors. He can't start. And then his junior season, he gets a year to start. It's probably going to be, you know, we're, again, we're looking, we're projecting here, but he could be an all American as a junior. And then he goes pro. I just think that's going to be a thing where Oregon fans are going to be like, man, we really enjoyed the time we had with Mikhail Wright but we wish we just had a little bit more of it. That's my guess on how this is going to play out. Let's – now, I, I don't think there's any, any debate that Penny Sewell is the best player in the conference. We're not even going to discuss that. But should Kayvon Thibodeau be two ahead of Keaton Slovis, or are you okay with Slovis being two, Thibodeau being three? I've gone back and forth on this one quite a bit. Um, this is the Pac-12's offensive and defensive freshman of the year from last season. So conference has clearly got some really good young talent. If these two players are right at the top of the list, and we should note that there's not really a, there's not a lot of seniors on this list at all. Um, the fourth, you know, the, the most highly rated being uh, Hamaclar Rashad from, from Oregon state at four. But I, I think I probably am okay with Slovis just in terms of he has maybe a greater impact at quarterback at the same time, I really think after watching, you know, and it's not fair to compare their individual games against each other because Thibodeau's playing a very different position than Slovis is. But having watched them play in person now, and obviously more Thibodeau than Slovis, 
I think Thibodeau is just a far greater talent. And I think Slovis is going to be a very good college quarterback. I think he proved that last year. I mean, the fact that he forced out a player like JT Daniel to transfer says a ton about his talent and his upside and what USC sees in him. So I, I get why he's at two in terms of like his impact, but I just think Thibodeau is clearly the better and more talented player. So I think it's a kind of a tough thing in terms of what Brandon's picking between, but if we're picking pure talent, Thibodeau should be above Slovis. If we're picking upon like maybe greater impact over the course of USC season versus Thibodeau's Oregon season, then, then I get the reason, I guess. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think, I think Thibodeau is going to be the better player um, physically. They play a different position, so it's kind of hard to compare that. But I look at, I at Thibodeau as you pull him off Oregon's defense. I think Oregon's D-line drastically looks different. I don't know if we can say that about USC. I mean, and I, I, I just – I plainly don't know. Like, we don't know what's behind right. Slovis because JT Daniels has transferred. But we saw that JT Daniels got hurt and the USC offense didn't really miss a beat when he got hurt. It's kind of similar to, to you know, the Mike Leach effect when he was at Washington State. He could just literally plug and play any quarterback he wanted that guy was going to put up big numbers. So how much of that's going to factor in into what Keaton Slovis and, or whatever quarterback is at USC matters. But I think I'm, I'm okay keeping Slovis too, but I think this is going to be the jockey the next year, two years in the Pac-12 is once Sewell goes pro, who becomes the number one player? Is it going to be Keaton Slovis or is it going to be Kayvon Thibodeau? And I think the awesome part about it is – you have one guy on defense who's terrorizing the quarterback and you have another guy on offense who's terrorizing the, the defense. And that's going to be a really cool kind of yin and yang to watch the next two or three seasons, as, however long either of these two guys are in college. And I know he's not ranked in the same range by Brandon and he's actually just in the also considered list, but I'd throw Jaden Daniels and maybe I'm partial to Daniels in part because Matt and I both watched him in the desert torch Oregon's defense last year and, and knocked them out of the college football playoff. But I think Daniels, another true sophomore quarterback in the conference, with, with guys like Daniels and Slovis and then Thibodeau, you're right. It's going to be really fun to kind of watch that jockeying. And, and these are teams that, again, it's not a, a head-to-head battle, but Kayvon Thibodeau will have a chance to make plays on Jaden Daniels and Keaton Slovis, and they'll have a chance to – make plays on Thibodeau. So they're, you know, an opportunity for them to at least kind of not go one-on-one, but to be impacted by each other on the field. And it'll be kind of fun to watch how that develops over the next couple of seasons and potentially could for it set up for some really fun Pac-12 conference championship sort of games with Oregon representing the North and, and either USC or Arizona State in the South. Because I do feel like, you know, obviously you toss Utah in there. That's kind of the hierarchy in the South. Those three schools really feel like they're kind of projected to, to continue to be at the top. So uh, I agree. I think kind of fun looking at those guys. Real quick, before we take a break, um, one guy that's non-Oregon-centric that I think is underrated, and it's kind of classic just because he's where he's from, but I think it's Max Borgi at Washington State. And, and Brandon does note that he is kind of an unknown because we don't quite yet know exactly what his role will be in Nick Rolovich's offense opposed to Mike Leach's air raid offense. But when he was playing in, in the air raid, he was – a perfect piece to that style of scheme. 
I mean, 28 touchdowns in two seasons. He had nine receiving touchdowns. He had 19 rushing touchdowns over the last two years. 11 rushing last year. He ran for just over 800 yards. He also had five touchdowns and almost 600 yards receiving for the Cougars. So this is a guy that he can run the football really well and he can catch the ball really well and and might be kind of the most – this might be hot take-ish, and you can tell Ooh. me if it is. I will. But Max Borgie might be kind of the most dynamic running back, all-purpose, can-do-it-all type back that the Pac-12 has seen since Christian McCaffrey. Well, it's funny. When you started saying that question, I'm going like, okay, Christian McCaffrey is the first name I thought of that would be that kind of player. And so I'm happy you said him and didn't say somebody from like 2000, but you didn't say like Reggie Bush or something because that would have been, uh, would have been <laughs> a pretty clear one. Um, no, I think that's probably pretty fair since McCaffrey left. I'm trying to think like you think about the top running backs the conference has produced. You've obviously got like Bryce Love, but that wasn't – he was just purely running the football. Um, you think Royce was running the football. Royce was running the football. Eno Benjamin had that huge season, but he was only running the football. Um, at Oregon State, Jamar Jefferson had that big season, but it was all running the football. At, at Utah last year, um, I'm blanking on the running Moss. back's name. That, thank you, Zach Moss. He led the conference in rushing, but he wasn't much of a pass catch. I think that's probably pretty fair. And it will be interesting to see how he fits into um, the run-and-shoot or run-and-gun kind of offense that you see with Nick Rolovich. I don't know exactly how that's going to utilize Borgie, but I'm guessing they're going to look at that roster and think, man, this is a guy that we're going to have to focus kind of the offense and, and build it around. So I, I agree with you in terms of, like, I think he probably is the, the favorite to be the top running back in the conference, which is where he's ranked by, by Brandon. And I think he's probably kind of a dark horse, maybe Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year candidate. Because you look at Brandon's list, um, you know, and let's, it's, it's Penny Sewell, Keaton Slovis, and Borgie and Verdell are the only offensive players on it. Sewell probably unlikely to win the Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year. I don't know. Maybe. Has an offensive lineman ever won the award? I don't have that pulled up in front of me, but I'm going to guess the answer is probably not. Um, and so that's why I'm thinking, like, is this could be like a Slovis, Borgi, Jaden Daniels. Maybe you throw in a Tyler Shuck or, or somebody from Oregon yeah. in that discussion too because they're probably the favorites to win the conference. But, um, yeah, no, it's, it's interesting kind of looking at it from that perspective. All right, let's take a quick break. You're listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hello everyone, it's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search The Rest is Football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meats. Welcome back to the Odds and Audible's podcast. Matt Paramer, Scopel here. And we debated the top 10 that Brandon Marcello of 24-7 Sports released 
of Oregon's inclusion of four of the 10 best players in the conference, he had Javon Holland as also considered. So Oregon theoretically had five of what the, the best 18 players in, in the PAC 12 conference, 16 I, players. He, I think it's five of 11 really. Cause I think he's the 11th guy. If you want to look at it that way, that's sure. what I would, okay. Yeah. So yeah. five of the 11, so five of the 11 are Oregon players. And then I think that speaks volumes to Oregon's talent and I'm not, and then when we debated Verdell and Thomas Graham, I, I'm not discounting their talent. I just think this speaks to how good Oregon is because I'm okay with four of the 10 best players on Oregon's roster being in the top 10. I just think they've got so many options that I would have picked different players to make that top, that, that top four. No doubt. And we're in agreement here. And Holland has, in my mind, Holland has to be on this list. Yes. Um, I, I, so that's a, that's what, an easy What Javon Holland has done, he needs to be a top 10 player. He has more interceptions than any player in the Pac-12 the last two seasons. And I think he was PPF's highest graded uh, nickel or, or cornerback last year. So um, I didn't understand why he wasn't on there either, but he, he has to be on that list. That's an easy one. If you're, I would not hard for me to say you can bump Verdell and put Holland at 10. And honestly, I would probably put Holland at seven and Graham to 10 or whatever you want to do it. But Holland, Holland should be the third Oregon duck on the, on the list in my mind. Is there any discussion that Holland is the better, not the, not the more impactful, not the um, more important, but just simply better player than Kayvon Thibodeau? Oof. You know, that's a really interesting question, Matt, because based upon what we, I mean, Holland has done it for almost two full seasons now. And I thought it was so incredibly consistent last season. And and we should say Thibodeau was awesome the second half of the season, but it is a smaller sample size. It's kind of almost, there's not exactly the same, but Penny Sewell played about half of his freshman season, but then lost right. because of injury. Thibodeau started and played a huge role half of last season. He played a little bit early on in the season, but not as much. I think you could make a decent argument that you could put Holland over Thibodeau. I now I obviously didn't do that and, and didn't put a lot of thought towards that because I'm looking like I was thinking big picture, kind of the ceiling of these players. But I don't think that's the most ludicrous thing in the world to think because I do think there's a chance that Javon Holland has a really fantastic junior season and is an All-American and is considered one of the best defensive backs in the country. And maybe he ends up being somebody that when this list is done, um, I don't know what Brandon would do this December or January. If there's a reflective element, I could see Holland being somebody that's in that top four or five in the conference. I don't think there's much question. In fact, if I was doing this list now, and I would have to think a little bit more hard about the rest of the players from other schools, I would probably have Holland close to that top four or five range right now anyway. I, I think Holland is the more complete current player right now than Thibodeau. But I also think Thibodeau has – a bigger importance um, to Oregon's defense and their success than Holland. And, and we're really splitting hairs here. Like, like both these guys are all American t- type guys, but I think with what we know of Oregon's roster and what we know of the, of the, of the position groups, God forbid Javon Holland gets hurt and Oregon doesn't have him for the 2020 football season. They can find a way to, I think to present a, a secondary that's very similar, maybe a very small drop-off to what they have with Holland in the fold because their depth is so good at that position. I don't know if there's another player on Oregon's roster that is this, has similar traits to what Kayvon Thibodeau does at no. defensive end for Oregon. 
And that's why I think Thibodeau will have the bigger impact, will have um, the higher upside and the more eyeballs on him because he means so much to Oregon's defense because he doesn't really have, you know, A to A, you know, A to B replacement type deal. Like there's not a guy that you can just easily say, oh, well, yeah, he's maybe not as good, but he can do 85% of what Thibodeau does. I think the one way you could see Holland surpass Thibodeau is if it's special teams stuff that really stands out. Like let's say maybe he's a punt returner and he has a Cliff Harris type of punt returning season where he returns three or four punts for touchdowns. And those are huge plays that change games. That would be the way, or, or, or he has a bunch of pick sixes or a bunch of huge defensive plays that alter games. That would be the only way, because I agree with you um, that Thibodeau does have a huge impact. And you're right. The, the caliber above replacement there is probably significantly higher for, for Thibodeau over his backup right now, who's an, I guess someone either like an Isaac Townsend, maybe um, a Trev in my eye, someone in that range. Um, whereas Holland, you're looking at, you could theoretically move Verone McKinley over there. You could theoretically yeah. move over maybe a Mikhail Wright. Jamal Hill's listed on the depth chart, I think, but you could move over Thomas Graham. I know he worked there in the spring. So who you would replace him with could be a better player. So I think that's a good distinction as well. Um, in terms of other guys on the list, were you surprised? And, and we talked a little bit about that. There is a also considered section here. Were you surprised Holland is the only duck that was also considered? Because I would have thought we would have seen Mikhail Wright in that group of eight players. Um, this is where I, I kind of wonder, like, is Mikhail Wright drastically better than any of these other guys listed? I don't think he's significantly better than Jaden Daniels. I don't think he's significantly better than Amar Ross and Brown at USC. Um, maybe Brant Kufi, the tight end from Utah. I, I just go back and, and think with Brant Kufi, like a lot of his stats are very similar to CJ Verdell in that they came against, you know, a couple teams. He had 34 catches for 602 yards and six touchdowns and you know, an average of 17 yards per catch. And you look at that and you think, wow, this guy's poised to have a huge year. He, I mean, he he's going to break out as a junior and, and be a superstar tight end in the Pac-12. And he could very well do that. But you also look back and think, okay, well, he had five catches and 132 yards and a touchdown. So basically a, a fifth of his yardage came in one game. He had another game in which he, he had three catches and 80 yards and a touchdown against Idaho State. And then he had four catches and 81 yards against Arizona. So over half his yardage came from three games. And you could, you could argue, you know, Colorado game where he had 63 yards and two touchdowns. And he also had two, ca- two rushing attempts and 59 yards and a touchdown. You know, about a three-game span, UCLA at Arizona and then, you know, the final home game of the regular season against Colorado – he had about half his yardage and half his touchdowns. And you look at the teams that are bowl teams, Texas, he did nothing. Three catches for 30 yards. Oregon, he was a non-factor. Oregon shut him down. Two catches for 22 yards. Uh, The Huskies shut him down. One catch for eight yards. Cal's defense did a, a moderate job. He scored a touchdown, but he was only three catches for 30 yards. ASU, he did nothing against the Trojans. He did nothing against Washington State. He did nothing against USC. Uh, and against BYU, he was average. Three catches and for 
for 37 yards. So I look at, at, at him as very similar to Verdell and even more so than Verdell. And maybe that's a guy Mikhail Wright could replace on, on this list. But part of my issue with Mikhail Wright is he just didn't play a lot. I mean, he, he did, but he didn't compare to a lot of these other guys. A lot of these guys are, are starters, whereas Wright is not, and he's going to be punished for that, unfortunately. No doubt about it. And, and again, I think the special teams thing plays a role with Wright's value, too. Like two kickoff returns last year um, and just his values there. But I, I think he's a hard person to rank, and I had a hard time ranking him when I was doing my Oregon top 20 specific rankings because it's like, so we talked about earlier, he, he, and even you just said a second ago, he hasn't started. He's not playing the full game, and it feels weird to have him ranked above guys who are, an Oregon's perspective, above guys like Jordan Scott or Johnny Johnson or Diomde Lenore, who are two- or three-year starters. But um, the ceiling is so enticing, I think it's just hard not to have him ranked really prominently. And in terms of the conference, I could see him being somebody that at the end of the season really comes on and you look back and say, man, yeah, he's a top-ten guy. Who else maybe – let's take a look at it that way, Matt. At the end of the season, who are maybe a couple of guys you could see that aren't on this list, that aren't mentioned, that could maybe make a jump and, and be in this kind of top 10 list postseason? I think Michael Wright is one, obviously. Yeah. Um, I think Tyler Shuck will be one that if, if we're looking at this and looking at Oregon as the team that's going to win the conference, the quarterback that wins will probably – be in the honorable mention at minimum. Agreed. I, I just don't see how Oregon could have a season in which they win the conference and their quarterback isn't one of the better players in the Pac-12 overall. Um, we've talked about Mikhail Wright. I don't know maybe if there's a linebacker that deserves to be on this list. I don't think so. Diamond Lenore, another corner. Um, I, I would argue you have a good debate, a good, a good battle between Wright and Lenore. Sure. Um, does, a, does a Brady Breeze or a Verone McKinley or a Nick Pickett, one of those three, do, do they, have they done enough to justify being in this discussion? I don't know. I don't know if there's anyone offensively that, that I can say with, with certainty outside of Tyler Shuck and Verdell will – Will cert and, and Pene Sewell obviously um, will make top ten, top fifteen ish in the Pac-12. I don't know if anyone else out there will, will will get to that point this season. Yeah, I think the only guy I thought offensively to to include, and I, I we were very similar in terms of the other the names we had listed. The only other name I had offensively was um, was Johnny Johnson in terms of the connection he has with Tyler Shuck. Those two are from the same state, obviously. They, we know they trained a little bit this offseason during the pandemic, um, and they've done so in the past. I, I think maybe there's a scenario here where Shuck and Johnson are just a really good connection with each other, and we already saw what Johnson did last year. And we should mention, similar to C.J. Verdell's stats, and you just ran through the Brent Kuthi stats, you take away that big Arizona State game, and a lot of that happened in the fourth quarter, and Johnny Johnson's stats look a little bit different. But as they are, his junior season was really, really strong. Maybe he's somebody who comes out and has a senior, you know, catches, what, 65 balls for 1,100 yards and nine touchdowns, and he's a second-team or first-team all-conference receiver, um, and he makes a case. But I even think that one is, is probably pretty far-fetched, and that would have to be the absolute best-case Johnny Johnson season to be a top-ten player in the conference, in my opinion. Now, let's 
go down the rabbit hole just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Let's do this scenario a year from now. Oh, wow. <laughs> going into 2021. Oh, boy. I'm not going to ask names, but do you feel like Oregon could be in a position again where they have four of the top ten? I mean, yeah, I think so. I mean, you look at the guys that are up there. Um, I think we both think Sewell is going to be – obviously, Sewell and Graham are both gone probably after this year. Um, but Thibodeau and Verdell are likely to be back. Um, Mikhail Wright will be back. Um, probably not Javon Holland, but I wouldn't be shocked at all if we see Justin Flo or Noah Sewell or some, somebody like that on the roster. Maybe even – I don't know. Dante Manning probably doesn't have the playing time available to him to really fit into this, but – there's so much talent in terms of young players that are just being integrated into the system. Even like a receiver, like a Devin Williams could have a huge season this year. Um, and he'd be back. So I, yeah, I think if I'm, yeah, if I, if I'm doing it off the top of my head here now, and of course it's hard to even know the rest of the conference, what's back at other schools and who those players might be, but yeah, just kind of off the cuff. I think Oregon has the talent on the roster undoubtedly by 2021 to have four out of the top 10 players in the conference. I think that's not a fetch at all. Yeah, I agree with you. Hopefully uh, you guys enjoyed this podcast, this debate. Um, You can read the full list that Brandon Marcello has on duckterritory.com. We'll link it in in the show notes for this podcast as well. So check that out as well. And let us know if, if we're wrong or if uh, let us know what changes you would make if, if you could. So I would encourage you guys to do that. Thank you for listening for Eric's Copeland, Matt Prane. We'll talk to you later. Talk to you later, fellas. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.